Well, folks, Shaw Jerry Adams Arish, August Morris Gra, Tasola Gomsa, Gobel Shibsha, Gomoy. I want to start this week's podcast by joining with Marilyn McDonald, Michelle O'Neill, and extending sympathy to the family of Queen Elizabeth in England on her death. And next week I'll return maybe to this issue and to the complex reactions to her death and why that would be so. But for now, let's look at the fact that one of the last actions that she was involved in was to ask Liz Truss to take over as the British Prime Minister to say goodbye to Boris Johnson. And then given that Liz Trust was selected as leader of the Conservative Party to go through the ritual of inviting her to take up the post that Boris Johnson had just vacated. And there was no real surprise there. Ms. Trust is the fourth leader of the Tories in six years. And as each has tried and failed to reshape Britain to a post-Brexit world, Tory government policy, especially under Johnson, has shifted further and further to the right. And if Truss's rhetoric during the election contest is to be believed, this trend will continue on her watch. The challenges facing her are huge. Some do arise from the war in Ukraine, but most are a consequence of the Brexit referendum in 2016 on a policy which she promoted while in government. The devastating impact of Brexit on the British economy has been enormous. There's a shortage of essential workers in agriculture, in the health service and elsewhere in the British economy. The trade deals with non-EU countries that Truss has trumpeted as compensating for Brexit have had little effect. The NHS is unable to meet the demands being placed upon it. The miles-long lorry queues in Kent are evidence of the failure of Brexit. And there's now the cost of living crisis, pushing oil and gas and food prices up to unimaginable levels and driving many citizens deeper into poverty. And so far, she has refused to outline her policies to meet these challenges. We know that she's for a a tougher stance against refugees as an advocate of the Rwanda policy of sending them to Africa. We know that she wants to scrap Britain's link with the European Convention on Human Rights, a key element of the Good Friday Agreement. We know that she's for tax cuts that will only benefit the wealthy. In essence, we know that she's from the Boris Johnson mould of right-wing incompetent politics and is set on continuing these. And when it comes to Ireland, trust doesn't care any more than Johnson did. She's indicated a willingness to back the DUP demand for unilaterally triggering Article 16 of the Withdrawal Agreement with the European Union. And this would see, if it happens, the British breach international law and suspend those elements of the protocol which they and their unionist allies don't like. Earlier this year, Ms. Truss introduced the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, Protocol Bill, which if passed by the British Parliament would also allow individual ministers to scrap the protocol. This bill 
is due in the British Lords after the summer recess. The European Union has repeatedly claimed that the British have refused to engage in any serious way in negotiations on the protocol, and this approach will undoubtedly continue under trust, as will the chaos and confusion that has marked successive Conservative governments for over a decade. The legally consequence of this for the North, and for the island of Ireland as a whole, and indeed for Scotland and Wales, do not look good. But, in the course of all of these developments, many people's eyes will be opened. More and more will realise that British government policy has always been dictated by what is in the British, or indeed more appropriately, I suppose, what is in the English interests. Ireland's interest will never be served by London. Ireland's interest has never ever before been served, is not now being served, and will not be served in the future by London. So our response must be to challenge this at every opportunity. The British government has no mandate in Ireland. Only the people of our island have that right. The sooner we exercise it, the better. But remember, no matter what else happens on her watch, with Truss's selection, we are another British Prime Minister closer to that day. In the course of my summer break, I read a number of uh, books. And these include, on dangerous ground, a memoir by Maura Comerford, edited by Hilary Dulley, with an introduction by Margaret Ward. Now, my friends, this is not a book review, but it is a book recommendation. On Dangerous Ground was recently published by Lilliput, It's required reading for all aspiring Republican revolutionaries and for all students of Ireland's revolutionary history, particularly of the period from 1916 to the 1920s, from revolution to counter-revolution, from the proclamation of 1916 to partition and civil war. Maura Comerford became a Republican activist in 1916. She joined Cumann Amon and Sinn Féin and had a full role and many of the events which followed the rising. She remained an unrepentant Republican up to her death in 1982 and kept up a keen involvement in the struggle during all this time. Maura befriended Rita O'Hare, Donnie Morrison and other activists of our time. In fact, Donnie gave the oration at her funeral. She had hoped to have her memoir published in her own lifetime and she had actually deposited a version of this in UCD in the 1970s, but it was never published. Hilary Dully has done outstanding work editing and including additional material from Morris UCD archive. It's to her great credit and the support of her husband, Joe Comerford, Morris' loyal and devoted nephew, that On Dangerous Ground is published now, almost 40 years after Morris' death. But it's also timely, given that this is the decade of centenaries. And this it is... This is because it's a Republican activist account of what happened during the revolutionary period and then in particular during the period when the truce was arranged and the treaty talks were established in London. The sad slippage into civil war and the outworkings of the manipulation of some Irish leaders by London is graphically chronicled. Mora was in the four courts when it was bombarded and later inside the Hammond Hotel while it was burning. She experienced the counter-revolution at first hand and for many years afterwards. 
There are many fascinating aspects to this wonderful book, including her own background and political development. And the footnotes on their own are fascinating. But for me, its strength is in Murrah's understanding of the counter-revolution, of partition, and how it was connived. It's also a rare recording of the role of a Republican woman and her sisters in our struggle. So well done, Murrah, and well done, Hildre. Finally, the Chieftain's Walk, in memory of our Chieftain Martin McGuinness, will be held on Sunday, September the 18th, at 1pm in Derry. So why not join us and Martin's family? This walk is organised by the Martin McGuinness Peace Foundation, and that foundation was established in September 2019, two years after Martin's death. The objects of the foundation are to celebrate the life and achievement of Martin McGuinness as a leader, a political activist, an international statesperson. The foundation is established for charitable purposes only and in particular to carry out charitable activities for the public benefit in the advancement of reconciliation, conflict resolution, unity and peace building, in community empowerment, in the advance of human rights and in the advancement of equality, inclusivity and diversity. And since its inception, the foundation has organised a number of events around reconciliation, as well as an online concert marking Martin's 70th birthday. The foundation also organises annual events which include the Chieftain's Walk, a Gaelic Games Blitz, a fly fishing competition, and this year the foundation in recognition of his passion about the importance of education and employment. The foundation has introduced a bursary scheme to help people build better futures for themselves and their families. The Chieftain's Walk has been disrupted over the last few years due to COVID restrictions, but this year the Foundation is looking forward to seeing the return of hundreds of people who have previously participated in the walk, joining us all as we remember our Chieftains. And the proceedings will go to help support the work of the Foundation, and I want to encourage everyone to sign up to it, and you can do so by signing up to www.register.athuse.com PS Event Chieftain's Walk 2022. And the route of the walk will go from Martin's home around the bog side and meander its way up through Derry's Walls and then make its way back through Butcher's Gate and down Fahan Street and out through Rossville Street and the Lackey Road, all these historical parts of the fine city of Derry. And incidentally, if you live in New York and you happen to be there on September the 18th, there's a Chieftain's Walk assembling at the Irish Hunger Memorial in Battery Park City at 10 on Sunday the 18th, 10 in the morning on Sunday the 18th of September also. So be part of that, folks, if you're about that city. And you may also want to attend the, uh, attend the inaugural Martin McGuinness Peace Foundation Dinner in the Manhattan Manor on the evening of September the 21st. You'll be very, very welcome. And details of the New York walk and of the dinner are available on the Foundation's website and social media platforms. That's all lower casing. Admin at martinmcginnispeacefoundation.org. And finally, finally, just as I record this podcast, I get 
the very sad news of the sudden death of Donica McNeilish, our comrade, an outstanding activist, a man from Derry, a Gael Gore, someone who stood in the Barn of Whale, but who reached out and played his leadership roles during very, very uh, grim years. So I, I want to extend my Kovron, but while you're a young of the Mary August, the, the Nellis clan, and in memory of Donica and reflecting on Martin, let's go out with the Dubliners and Luke Kelly and the town I love so well. Slán Akarja, Slán Donica. In my memory, I will always see the town that I have loved so well, where our school played ball by the gas yard wall, and we laughed through the smoke and the smell. Going home in the rain, running up the dark lane, past the jail and down behind the fountain. Those were happy days in so many, many ways in the town I loved so well. In the early morning, the shirt factory horn calls the women from Craigan, the moor, and the bog. While their men on the dole play the mother's role, then the children and then train the dog. And when times got rough, there was just about enough, but we Deep inside was a burning pride in the town I loved so well. There was music there in the dairy, like a language that we all could understand I remember the day I earned my first pay when I played in a small pickup band There I spent my youth and to tell 
behind me. There I learned about life, and I found a wife in the town I love so I can only 